You're listening to Tech Writer Voices, a podcast specifically for technical writers. Tech Writer Voices gives you information and tips about technical writing to help you stay updated and current in your field. On the web, we're at techwritervoices.com. I'm Tom Johnson, located in Tampa, Florida, part of the Suncoast chapter. Today, I'm interviewing Anne Rockley from the Rockley Group about Web 2.0, content management, and DITA, undoubtedly three of the most important and hottest topics for technical writers today. Anne is president of the Rockley Group. She helps corporations manage their content, provides training, workshops, speaks at conferences, gives webinars, and lots more. You can learn more about her services at rockley.com or by emailing her at rockley at rockley.com. I also want to encourage you to take a survey that I've put on the site so that I can learn more about listeners. I'm curious to know how you listen to podcasts, how you keep updated about new podcasts, what the ideal length is for a podcast, and what your purpose is for, for listening. And you can also leave a voicemail on on this show by calling 727-493-2139, and I'll play your comment on an upcoming show. All right, let's go to the interview. So, Anne, um, you're located up in Canada, in Ontario, right? Correct. And you are, you're the founder of the Rockley Group, and, and I know you guys specialize in content management. So I was wondering if you could start by just telling me a little bit about uh, what customer-centric content management is. Well, customer-centric content management is content management where we focus not just on process improvements and um, saving money, you know, through reduced cost of translation and things like that, but where you're focusing your entire initiative for your content management on improving the customer experience. And uh, so what we're doing at that point is we're looking at the content we uh, create and how we create it, how we manage it, how we deliver it, so that we're ensuring that the customer experience is improved at every touch point. And that can mean whether they touch the web, whether they contact your call center, whether they you know, are reading uh, some of your manuals, whatever it happens to be. So it's, it's a complete focus on uh, ensuring that you optimize the customer experience through content and content management. Now, I know that you're, you're working a little bit to... Um do some things that touch into the Web 2.0 world. Uh, in your mind, what would be the ideal content management system for a Web 2.0 experience where the user participates or contrib- contributes more or is just more in the focus? Well, um, when we're looking for a system which will support uh, the activities of Web 2.0, uh, we're looking for more than just a web content management system in the, and again, sort of going beyond traditional web content management, which is tracking pages and ensuring that, you know, content is um, up to date and aging it off when it's, when it's not um, appropriate anymore. But moving more towards ensuring that we have the applications available to us that allow us to provide uh, the interactions with the customer. So um, uh, we would have, um, say, wikis available. We would have rating software. We would have 
web analytics. We would have um, the ability to do dynamic delivery of content. We would have the ability to um, uh, interact with the customer, allow them to make selections, have content configure or give them greater access to content or a variety of different things, even communicating with other customers um, as opposed to just, you know, sort of seeing what's on a site. So wanting to have the facilities available to us that allow us to have that interaction. Can you expand a little bit on rating software and how that would work? Well, when we talk about rating software, um, and it can be used in a variety of different ways, you think about, say, a book or a movie or something of that nature where people um, can rate or rank uh, something, what they feel the value of it is. Uh, that's more in the consumer world, but we can also look at it from the perspective of, a, say, a business product and someone is um, giving feedback on how effective a white paper was or a particular article or a generalized description of something that uh, someone has provided. And what you want to make possible is for an individual to say, this is how valuable I find this. And you can choose to use that rating internally so you just know what your customers are thinking or pushing it back out such that, you know, three out of five rated uh, this as, um, you know, um, four and a half stars out of five, that sort of thing, so that you're sharing their uh, rating back with a whole and you get more and more interaction with people when you do that. So you can use it in two ways. You mentioned dynamic delivery. Can you explain what that means and, and how it can be beneficial? Well, typically when you when you look at a website, there's content and you follow a series of navigational links to find the content or search and you find the content. But when you get there, the content is pretty static. These are pre-built pages that have been designed and pushed to the site in advance. Now, when you talk about dynamic content, what you're doing then is building content as it's requested. So um, once you get an understanding of who the customer is, what it is that they want to know about, rather than giving them all this very general information or everything and they have to weed through it, you can provide them information that's specific to them. And pages can be built dynamically. So instead of just, well, you're interested in this kind of information, so here's this page. Well, here's this page of which there are two or three areas within this page that has been built based upon your request for information. So I want to know more about um, uh, the functionality of a certain piece of uh, the product or something like that. Then it can build that as you request it. It's dynamic. And that means that content is much more personalized, much more focused uh, for what people are looking for. When you construct a taxonomy for a big content management site, do you ever do any kind of card sorting device like websort.net to try to determine exactly how users would create the taxonomy? We, we use card sorting quite a bit. And uh, while we sometimes do use software, we also like to do sort of hands-on situations where we actually get people in a room and physically hand them cards and ask them to sort that. So we can do it in two ways. It depends upon where customers are, uh, you know, if they're geographically spread out and we want to get uh, representatives from around the world, say, for a global 
site. Uh, then we'll use the software and ask people to participate in a card sort in that way. And if we have uh, the opportunity to actually talk uh, with some customers, we've got some of them locally or potential customers, then we'll bring them into a room and, and physically give them cards to sort. And we do that uh, frequently. So we do uh, focus groups and analysis um, first. And then when we feel that we have some sense of what is required, then we move towards using a card sort to ensure that we're on the right track and that uh, people are finding what we've decided effective. Now, Scott mentioned that you were working on a, a really cool project, but that he couldn't disclose any of the details. I'm wondering if you could tell us about this project that you're working on. Well, I can't tell you who. <laughs> um, it's in the high-tech industry, but it was, um, well, it was rather cool in the sense that uh, we're moving much more towards the uh, Web 2.2 Sorry, I can't talk straight. Web 2.0 paradigm. And uh, what we're doing there is uh, we were moving away from, you know, just providing people with a, a bunch of web pages that that are certainly are related to each other, but really focusing on uh, who is our customer, what kind of tasks are they doing at any point in time, what are the different types of content that they require at that point in order to be able to accomplish their tasks, to achieve their goals. How do we move them through the information? So working uh, to say, okay, well, when they're here and they need greater depth of understanding, this is how we can move them through. If they want to know more about this, this is the direction that we can take them in. And continuously building an ongoing relationship with them. So. Um, by doing things like you were asking about the rating of information and um, asking them to share some of their experiences with the product and bringing together customers and their goals and um, asking for much, much more interaction than just passive navigation uh, through the web pages. And uh, it was very cool in, in terms of of uh, seeing much more effective ways of accessing the information uh, because we have more user input into how to do it effectively um, and uh, much more well, sort of loyalty or buy-in or interest in coming back to the site and using the product and using new products uh, because we're building um, an ongoing relationship with uh, the individuals who come to the site. Now, when a user can rate a page or rate some kind of content, can you filter that content up to show the top-rated pages or somehow show those popular pages for other people in that same role? Absolutely. And that that's um, it's built into the software, and you can uh, filter. So you could say top 10, whatever. Uh, these are the most requested, whatever. These are the ones that... Um, these are the top five ranked, uh, you know, products, articles, frequently asked questions, whatever it happens to be. I know you do a lot of work with DITA. I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about what DITA is and why you think it might be an important standard. Well, DITA is an XML-based standard, and um, it has been um, made a standard through an organization called OASIS. And OASIS... Uh, is a nonprofit organization that works uh, with the industry as a whole to 
uh, bring XML standards to the public and, and ensuring that they're effective, et cetera. And um, it was originally developed for the technical writing community, so uh, with technical writers in mind who are doing online help and uh, web-based materials in addition to manuals. And one of the beauties of DITA is that it is a standard. And so it means that there's a, a standard way of referring to different types of content. And uh, so that makes it a lot easier. When somebody wants to move to XML, when people started looking at XML, say, four or five years ago, um, you always had to create your own structures because there really there wasn't anything much out there. There was an earlier standard um, called DocBook. Um, but it was specifically for print-based materials. Uh, with Ditto, we are much more of an online focus. So you've, you've got something out of the box that you can use to describe your content, make it very easy for you to get up and running quickly uh, with Ditto. It's also focused on reuse. And that means that if you have content which appears in multiple places, maybe um, similar products have similar content or uh, maybe you're reusing content, say, between training and documentation or a variety of different ways in which you use it. It's specifically designed to make it easy uh, for you to reuse content. So, again, that makes it a lot easier for people moving towards XML. They don't have to code the systems. They don't have to uh, manually do it themselves. And one of the things that we're doing with DITA these days, which we're quite excited about is um, taking it beyond technical publications. So um, we're doing a lot of marketing materials with it right now. We're doing uh, training materials. We're doing website materials. And uh, the reason for that is because, again, it gives us this underlying structure that we can use and we can rapidly develop consistently structured content so that we can put together a web page, maybe a product overview. Um, we put together the structure for that, and then people who are developing content for that can very easily uh, complete those web pages and fill it in. So it just speeds up things so much. It makes it possible for us to very rapidly uh, exchange, reuse information in an XML format. Do most people implement DITA through a content management system that you work with anyway? You don't have to. Um, DITA can stand on its own. And certainly, if you've got a very good DITA editor, uh, it supports uh, some of the basic aspects of uh, content, like content reuse and structuring, things like that. But if you do have a lot of information, and in particular, if you're um, creating content and then globalizing it so you're translating into multiple languages, it really makes a lot of sense to have a content management system because it becomes very complex to track your information. I mean, it's hard enough to find whole documents if you're storing much smaller chunks of information, maybe paragraph-sized pieces of information. That is even more complicated. And without a content management system, that can be somewhat problematic. How do people know if DITA is right for them? I mean, do you have to be a giant company that's going to implement a big CMS? Or, I mean, if you've got a, a small company, is DITA something they should should be concerned about? Well, I think it is something that um, certainly everyone in the technical communication industry should be looking at because, frankly, that's the direction that, that the industry is going in. 
um, and many, many of the tools that they will use, things like FrameMaker and, of course, the XML editors and a variety of other tools are all starting to adopt it. So at minimum in that industry, uh, they should look at it. It certainly is something that a small group can implement. Um, I, when looking at data, one of the things that we uh, do is when we work with different clients is we help them to take a look at their information and critique it. And say, okay, well, what kinds of content are we creating? What are some of the challenges that we're facing when creating that content? And does the structure of DITA make sense to me? Is it going to make it easier for me to create my content? Is it going to make it easier for me to manage and deliver my content? Is it going to fit what we need to be able to do? And if the answer to those types of questions is yes, then um, using DITA today is becoming easier and easier. It's almost transparent. It's kind of like in the background. Like when you use Word, you don't necessarily know you're working with RTF. When you use FrameMaker, you don't necessarily know you're working with MIF. It's, it is starting to move somewhat in the background uh, where you've got the power of DITA, but you don't need to as um, a small company or uh, an individual need to worry too much about the complexities of DITA. Um, and there is a toolkit. It makes it fairly easy to publish. Now, I uh, will do a caveat here. It is not as easy as, say, picking up Word or picking up FrameMaker. It does require um, an additional learning curve uh, to understand, well, how do I get my materials to print the way I want them to and things like that. So you need to understand a different way of, of uh, creating content, different way of uh, producing that content. But a small company can use it. I'm not sure if I'd recommend it for just a single individual. But we've had two and three person teams who are using it and, and teams of, you know, 40, 50, 100 people using it. Do you know much about the data plugin that Scott is working on for blogs and things like that? I, I know about it. Um, we haven't uh, used it. It's still... Uh, sort of in the development stage, as he's working on it with IBM. Um, but what um, the focus is, is creating a DITA plugin for blogs that allows you to do structured blogging. And uh, blogging certainly has a little bit of a standardization to it, uh, largely brought on by the tools and by the requirement to um, share blogs with other people. There has to be some standardization of the structure of the content in order to make that happen. But with the uh, DITA plugin, it's going to make it even easier and much more explicit what that structure is so that um, it's almost like filling in the blanks uh, with, with content so that uh, there's a lot less having to think about what, what you need to do. It gives you a very clear uh, structure for what you can do and provides options for that. And, and it does facilitate uh, greater sharing of content. So I think that that's going to be uh, quite a bonus when it's uh, available. And I know that it's going to be available um, in the near future. I'd like to talk a little bit more about content management. What percentage would you say of content management projects fail? And, and if they do fail, why do they fail? And why do the ones that succeed, succeed? Well, the, the industry numbers are about 30% of all content management projects fail. And that's fairly comparable to any large software uh, implementation. 
Now, the reasons that they fail are multiple, but um, the the biggest one that we see is companies pick the tool first before they figure out what they need to do. There are well over 800 uh, web content management systems out there. There are dozens of XML-based content management systems. There's a variety of different tools out there. And if a company comes at it as, well, we'll pick the tool and everything will fall into place, they're making a major error because they don't understand what capabilities and restrictions that tool brings to the table, which may compromise the quality of the content that they're trying to create. It may not support all the different areas within the organization that are trying to create and manage their content. It may not address the issues of workflow within the organization. And we see this constantly. So a typical organization will probably implement web content management first. So they've got a website and they want to uh, manage their web content. But there's frequently, maybe there's a tech pubs group or a training group or a marketing communications group or a variety of different groups, you know, even customer support, who are all trying to um, move towards content management as well because they have the same uh, requirements to manage their content and make it more easily accessible, et cetera, et cetera. And so someone goes and they pick a tool and it's great for the web, but nothing else. And so then you have um, multiple systems coming into the company. You have incompatible systems. They can't talk to each other. They can't share information, uh, et cetera. It's, I can't tell you how many organizations I've come into where uh, you know, they've got two or three different content management systems that they're no longer using because it didn't do what they needed to do, and they didn't do a thorough analysis. So the ones that succeed are the organizations that take the time to figure out what is it that we're trying to do, what are the problems that we're trying to solve, what is the new way that we want to be able to work in the future, what are our customer requirements for content and how can we support it. And then using all of that information to build um, a set of requirements for selecting the tools, for developing the information architecture, for designing the uh, workflow, etc. And uh, so getting an understanding of what you require first is extremely important. If we move away from the tool perspective, there are sort of two other areas in which um, content management uh, projects fail or at least are very problematic. Uh, one is where people, um, the company does not think about the people who are going to use the system. So they pick something, they do all this work with it, and then they say, here, um, you know, now you get to use it without thinking about change management, without thinking about potentially people's resistance to the system without really finding out what it is that they need so they haven't configured it the way that people are going to need it. So there's the people side of things where totally focused on the technology, forget about people requirements. Um, vice versa, we do have some companies which spend um, a fair amount of time on the people side of things and um, don't look at how they can use the technology to best support uh, their requirements, and so they and they may not bring in um, additional knowledge requirements. So they might not hire the vendor or a VAR or 
a systems integrator, somebody who knows a lot about the technology to implement it. They try to do it all themselves, and they don't have the knowledge and the skill set, and they can um, implement it incorrectly or um, just not be able to succeed at what they were trying to do because they don't have the knowledge. So it comes from both sides. Um, you mentioned how different departments each have their own information needs, and a lot of times this this uh, results in each department having their information trapped in its own database that doesn't relate to the others or they can't share information. How can you how can companies break down these silos between departments and, and share information? You know, what they need to do uh, in the as they're beginning to move uh, towards a more integrated uh, solution is they need to look at the content. They need to look at the processes around the content and find out what is in common and what is unique uh, to a particular area. And when they find those common areas, and there's a lot of them, where content is being created and recreated in multiple silos, and, and uh, so you've got a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of rework of information. So they're, they're looking for the opportunities for reuse. What they need to do once they have a clear understanding of where content bridges silos and look at it from the complete uh, customer perspective. So understanding where, uh, what kind of information a customer needs at what point in time. So that first they see the big picture when it comes to the content. Then they need to move into an information architecture which ensures that the structure of the content is the same. So if I call something an overview, in one area, it's an overview somewhere else so that when we share that information, then we can share it so that we've named it the same way, it's structured the same way. And we use a common metadata taxonomy for describing how we categorize that content. So again, we can share that information because we call it the same thing. We don't have different names for things. And then you still have a people issue in the sense people are very used to working um, uh, in their own area and, and working on their own content and, and probably doing a fairly good job of creating that content when you look at it in isolation, but not necessarily when you look at it across the big picture, is bringing in um, people who do a lot of change management to help people to understand that it's not my content and my area and my customer, it's, it's corporate content and uh, we need to think about the broader picture and we need to look to how to, we can share this information and how we can work together. So you need to break it down at a, a technological level, you need to break it down at an architecture level, and you need to break it down at a people level. One of the questions that I think a lot of users face when a, a new content management system is implemented at a company is how they can find all, the, all this information. Um, there may be a new taxonomy and a new system. And uh, what are some ways that people can just make information findable in a CMS? Um, well, there's a variety of different ways. One is certainly a metadata taxonomy where um, you come up with a way of tagging information in a common way that's the same um, across the organization. That is certainly one way. Uh, so people can search for information. But that's not the only way that people look for information. People also look for information in context. So say they say, okay, well, I want to find some information about product A, and I'm looking for a product uh, data sheet. Well, B 
being um, able to uh, categorize content through um, directory structures uh, makes it easier for people to find that information, making it possible for people to um, you know, even navigate to a particular uh, web page that's in existence for the corporation and say, I want that content or I want to reuse that piece of information because people mentally build uh, a network of understanding, you know, like a mental schema of where information is. So they can search for it, they can navigate to it, uh, you can um, give it to them in a directory structure. Uh, one of the things that we highly recommend with, with a directory structure is to make it what we call virtual. And what that means is instead of content being in a folder and only that folder, um, it can actually appear in multiple folders. It's not that it's physically in those three or four or five different folders. It it looks like um, it's available so that you can have a variety of different organizations for the same content that make sense to people so they can look it up by product, they can look it up by um, content type, they can look it up by uh, maybe who created it, they can look it up by, um, you know, all sorts of, of different ways in which you can categorize that information. And so the content still only exists in one place within your content management system but it can appear in multiple places. In essence, it's reuse, but at the organizational level so that people can find that information. And then with the point of reuse, if you are reusing content, instead of making people go and search for that content, we can set up the system so that it can automatically um, populate content. So let's say I'm creating a brochure about a product, and somebody has already created uh, some information about the same product. Well, I, I pick up the, the brochure template and I say it's on product A, the system can automatically go out and search for anything that matches my template on that product and pre-populate it for me. So I don't even have to search for it in the first place. So it's it's writing, providing a variety of different ways into the content that's important. If you go on Amazon.com or something and try to look for a book, right? If you search for a book and you get a return, usually there are some other links that say these customers who ordered that book that you're looking at also ordered these other five books. So is that similar sort of data return, that dynamic delivery according to one person's um, choice, is that something that, that is becoming more predominant in a content management system as well? Uh, yes, because it is giving people... Um, an understanding of of what others are doing, which is sort of going back to our conversation at the uh, beginning here, where um, certainly in the case of Amazon where you are purchasing something, um, what they want to be able to do is to give you, um, you the, the person who's um, retrieving the information about the book, um, an idea of what others have bought, because you might be interested in those books too. And you might not have found those books if you had just been searching for a particular book and not even knowing that these other ones existed. So by saying they've also uh, purchased this. And then if you look at it, say, in a non-purchase situation, but um, you think about, um, you know, maybe somebody's looking up a question, a frequently asked question on something, 
you can also say uh, things like related frequently asked questions so that they can see the other ones that are related to it. So if it doesn't exactly answer your question, you know, maybe one of these other ones would uh, because it, it gives a better possibility that you will um, get all the information that you need that you might not have been aware of uh, if you just did a basic search on the content. So it's happening more and more in a variety of different ways to give people a, a sense of the bigger picture and not just what they've looked for. Another question. Um, do you know of any companies that are syndicating their content through RSS feeds? I mean, this is a popular way to <clears throat> uh, make it so that other people can, can be aware of your content rather than having to search for it. Do you know of anybody that's doing that in the enterprise? Um, they they do it in a variety of different ways. Um, a lot of times the blogs um, are, so you might have an informational blog about a particular um, product or product suites, then um, you can use, uh, you can set up an RSS feed from the uh, corporate blog that says, okay, whenever there's any new information about this product, um, send an RSS to the individual so they can, so they're constantly getting it. They don't have to go and say, oh, what's new? What do I need to know? So they use it in that way. Um, they use it internally on intranets to let people know uh, that uh, there's new information or changed information or information that they specifically need to see. Um, so it gets used in a variety of, of different ways within the internally within the corporate environment as well as externally to customers, to, to dealers and a variety of others to, um, in essence, uh, push information to them as opposed to them having to go and find it themselves. And I have a, a different sort of question for you because um, I know you, your company specializes in content management and, and helping corporations implement it. What do you, What is it that draws you, you about content management? What do you like best about about this subject? Well, <laughs> I've always been a content creator, so I've, I've you know, been a writer since the beginning of my career. And um, as a writer, I've certainly had to deal with a lot of the challenges of creating, managing, and delivering information in shorter and shorter timelines and dealing with more and more uh, information. And so wanting to bring structure, wanting to bring um, coherency to sometimes what is a chaotic um, activity, particularly in a very fast-paced, high-tech uh, environment. So um, I personally and certainly the rest of my team very much enjoy helping an organization to bring a sense of control uh, to what they're doing. So even though we can't do anything about, you know, giving them more time to create things, even though we may not be able to give them new resources like more people to help them do what they do, we help them to uh, control their content better so they can do more in the same time and do it more effectively and do it more cost-effectively, um, higher quality, all those sorts of things so that um, gaining greater satisfaction out of uh, what you're doing and um, helping companies to see the value of content within the organization. Certainly if you sell a product, you say, oh, well, you know, we make money by selling the product, but content is a 
key component of that. And um, by ensuring that it's under control and that it's effectively managed, um, you can see the real benefits of that content through customer satisfaction, reduced costs, um, increased opportunity to innovate, all sorts of things like that. So I guess it's bringing control and coherency to to difficult processes within an organization when it comes to content. And can you just tell me quickly how people can get a hold of you? Uh, certainly our our website, uh, www.rockley.com. Um, our email, more info at rockley.com, uh, is probably the best ba- uh, way to uh, get in touch with us. Uh, certainly can call as well, 905-939-9298. Um, so there's a variety of uh, different ways. And the Rockley Bulletin is a is a resource that people can learn more about um, content management from, right? Can you just describe that briefly and, and who writes it? Sure. Uh, we have the Rockley Bulletin, which comes out monthly, and it's short um, in the sense that uh, there's, you know, three to five articles, um, around about 500, maybe 700 words in length. But talking about key uh, things about content management that people might want to know, so uh, control vocabularies, uh, what is data, um, you know, uh, what is happening in the world of content management, who's buying whom uh, these days, a variety of different things. And that, uh, we post it monthly. Uh, It's usually available at the end of the month. And in addition to the Rockley Bulletin, we, um, we have the Rockley Report, which originally was a quarterly um, issue, and now what we have done is we are focusing on special issues. So uh, we're literally sending out a brand-new Rockley report um, later next week on customer-centric content management, and these are both free to people. Um, The Rockley Bulletin is rockleybulletin.com, and the Rockley Report is rockleyreport.com. The Rockley Report is very substantial, 20, 30 or more pages of of detailed information for people. All right, Anne. Well, that's about all my questions. I really appreciate you talking to me today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. You've been listening to Tech Writer Voices. We're online at techwritervoices.com. Please tell a friend or your local chapter about this podcast. If you want to learn more about Anne Rockley and the Rockley Group, go to rockley.com or you can email her at rockley at rockley.com several years ago uh, the Suncoast chapter um, had Anne come down and do a workshop on content management and it was an, an intensely popular event in our area if you have a topic that you'd like to hear as a podcast let me know send me an email at tom at techwritervoices.com and again I encourage you to take that survey which is on the site same link as this podcast <laughs>